Okay, we're going to continue First Timothy, that sixth chapter. One of the things that's marked uh, history is periodic epidemics will show up and just ravage uh, human populations. Uh, a year ago, a uh, big thing was the Ebola deal taking place over in Africa. It's kind of winding down once I think got a handle on it. But that's kind of, we were fortunate that thing didn't spiral out of control and get much worse. The worst one was probably 700 years ago. In the 14th century, uh, years about 1340, 1345, when the event came along that we call uh, the Black Death, the bubonic uh, plague that hit much of the world. Uh, John Kelly, in his work, The Great Mortality, he calls it apocalyptic in scale. And he said it affects affected every part of Europe and Asia. No one really escaped it. Uh, Seaports along the Sea of China uh, were hit by it, and little villages all the way to Portugal and all over Europe. And, and in Europe, which we have the best statistics for uh, from that time, in most places it claimed one-third of the population. It killed a third of the people. Uh, boom, they were dead. Uh, in others, half the population was killed. And in many places, it was 60 to 75% uh, of died. Uh, it killed dogs, cats, birds, camels, and people. So it just, it just decimated uh, the human population of, of that time. I mean, it would take out, you know, a man who buried his wife, and would bury all his children, eight of them. They'd be all dead, and pretty soon he'd be gone. Uh, businesses would just be wiped out. You know, the owner would be killed, all the workers, they're all gone. Villages, you go into a town, they would be vacant. Uh, all the households, they're dead. Buried, houses just abandoned. Uh, so it was just a horrific time, the Black Death. But you know what's more deadly than the Black Death? It is a plague of false teaching. Yeah. That could be more deadly than anything else. We're going to look at that this morning. A plague of false teaching that can affect the church. And these things have showed up on and off through the church's history. Uh, today is no different. Uh, if anything, we just seem to have almost another epidemic going around with just various uh, false teachings. So let's take a look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. Now, if you remember, he was speaking verses 1 and 2, to slaves. Now, this morning we're going to look at what he says about false teachers. So let's stand as we read God's Word. First Timothy chapter 6. We're going to pick up verse 3. Here Paul says, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words. Whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil, surprisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. Let's pray. Father, we are always thankful for the warnings we find in your word, for the truth that's 
that points out uh, things that are false to watch, to be aware of, not buy into. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom, wisdom that is so different than our world. Uh, Lord, may we draw close to you and walk in your truth. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I intended to get through uh, verses 3, 4, and 5. We're not going to do that today. We're just going to look at verse 3. We're going to look at the aspect of sound doctrine. Uh, in verse 4, we're going to look at solid unity. And verse 5, spiritual richness. But those are wait until next Sunday. We're going to focus on just verse 3 this morning. So Paul is telling us we need to be a people of sound doctrine. And Paul, if you look at verse 3, tells us that false teachers are revealed by what they declare and what they deny. That's the things to watch out for. See, Paul's telling us we need to take all teaching and compare it to the words of Jesus Christ. Every teaching needs to be measured up with the Bible. See how it matches. If it doesn't match up with the Bible, it doesn't match up with the words of Jesus and the teaching of the Bible, then it is false. Paul says, treat it as such. In fact, many times, a way to detect a forgery, whether it be a painting or a money or a document, is to compare it to the original. That's how we find that many times. The genuine article. Uh, John Phillips, I like what he says. Dr. Phillips says, uh, Paul's doctrine was the real thing. So any teaching that painted a different picture of Christ, a different creed, or a different set of values was a forgery. And that's what Paul says to watch out for. Be on the lookout for any man that comes in and teaches something different and who counters the teaching of Jesus. Uh, one thing we need to be careful of is that we just don't give blind allegiance to anyone because they have a title or a reputation. You know, just because a guy wears a title of pastor or teacher or professor or is a popular speaker uh, with many books written, always compare them to God's Word. And if they deviate, uh, well, don't go with them. Be careful of that. In fact, sometimes, well, that's the danger. It seems like we get popular and it opens the door for deviation. So watch out. We need to be like the Bereans in the book of Acts. In Acts 17, Paul and Silas come to the area of Berea. And they taught the synagogue of the Jews. And Luke tells us in Acts 17, verse 11, I like what he says about these believers. He says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And that they received the word with all readiness of mind. And searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Isn't that interesting? Here comes Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And yet they checked out their Bibles to make sure what Paul was saying was true. They were impressed by his title. They wanted to check them out and see it matched up with what they had in Bible. That's good to do with anybody. No matter who they are. You need to do that with me. Make sure I match up with the Bible. 
So sound doctrine will have certain characteristics. Now, in verse 3 of 1 Timothy 6, we're going to find a few characteristics. And Paul gives them. Wholesome words is one of them. It means the same as sound doctrine. So it could be sound doctrine or sound words, wholesome words. Wholesome means healthy. In fact, our, our word uh, hygiene comes from it. Uh, personal hygiene is very important. Keeping clean, uh, washing hands, uh, taking baths and showers, uh, brushing our teeth, and, and doing, that's all important stuff. Uh, you, you ask a surgeon here, uh, that's important. Personal hygiene before you go into surgery. You know, they tell us we're supposed to wash our hands for about 20 seconds. How long do you guys wash your hands for? Six minutes. Six minutes. I'm going to see like eternity. <laughs> wow. And that's not six minutes. But personal hygiene is important. And we need to do it daily. And we need to do it through the day. Spiritual hygiene is just as important. Keep clean morally. Thoughts, actions, words, daily. And Paul says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words. In other words, these guys were coming in bringing stuff that was really unwholesome, tainted. They were countering what was wholesome and beneficial. Uh, in fact, Paul stresses this all through his pastoral letters. Uh, we see it here. And if you turn ahead to 2 Timothy, chapter 1, 2 Timothy 1, uh, verse 13. Hold fast the form of sound words, wholesome words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Now look at Titus, turn ahead couple pages to Titus chapter 1 verse 9 holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers chapter 2 of Titus verse 1 uh, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine wholesome words. Same phrasing. So Paul really stresses wholesome words. It's a mark of sound doctrine. Uh, the verb tense also tells us that false teachers are in a continuous state of not agreeing with wholesome words. I mean, it's not just a one-time thing with them. It's continuous. They just continually disagree with the truth of God's word. So Paul says, watch out for that. They should have wholesome words to be genuine. So that's one characteristic. Uh, another one is the words of Jesus Christ. Be mad teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Dr. Phillips says, the touchstone of all teaching is the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now touchstone, that's kind of interesting. You know, that's a phrase we use. A lot of times we don't think about phrases. Uh, touchstone is kind of an interesting thing. 
Now, like this picture uh, Dr. Phillips uses, Webster defines a touchstone. It is a black silica stone related to flint, uh, formerly used to test the purity of gold and silver by the streak left on the stone when rubbed by the metal. So in other words, they take that touchstone, kind of like flint, related to it, they take that gold and silver, and they would just run it down, that piece of stone, and look at the streak that was left. And you could tell it was genuine by the streak that it left. So they took that item, touched the touchstone, tested it. And that's a great picture here. So that became a test or a criterion to determine the quality or genuineness of a thing. So in other words, uh, Paul is saying, Dr. Phillips is pointing out, all teaching has to be matched up with the words of Jesus Christ. It needs to, you need to take their words, touch them with God's word. See if they are genuine. That's good. Now, it includes more than the quotes of Jesus. Given in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It includes all his message, uh, backed all the Bible. Not just limited stuff. Now, you go back to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, 16. There it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The word of Christ means all of God's word. The whole thing. Now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Paul says, finally, brother, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. So all of God's word, that it may have free course. So words of Christ, the whole word of God is included. We hear the expression, what would Jesus do? Tell you what, before we even do that part, we need to go back to a better expression what did Jesus say? Because before we can do what Jesus would do, we need to know what he says. Uh, his words are far above other words. Why is that? Well, let's let Jesus answer. When we look at the Bible, turn to the um, Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. Mark 13. Verse 31. His words are imperishable. Here Jesus says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. You know, men's words are really quickly forgotten. In fact, I believe that many of the popular teachers of today that half a century from now, certainly within a century, their words are going to be forgotten. I mean, it's rare if we quote from people over 50 years ago. 
unless they really are outstanding. Most of them are going to be forgotten. Most of the stuff posted on the internet is dribble. Quickly forgotten. But we're going to have the words of Christ all eternity. They're completely different quality. Turn to Luke chapter 4, Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke chapter 4. Here we see that his words are gracious. And in verse 22, it says, All bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? But John the Apostle, he described Jesus as being full of grace and truth. And here we see that his word is truth. And they have the element of grace in them. A.T. <coughs> Robertson says they were winning words, marked by fascination and charm. So in all our hurts, in every struggle we have, in every disappointment, when we go to Jesus, he's going to have a word of truth, and he's going to have words of grace for us. His words are gracious. And then his words are mighty. Look at verse 32 in Luke 4, same chapter. Uh, Jesus goes to a different area, Capernaum, uh, taught them on the Sabbath days in verse 32. They were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. Now, our words are weak. Don't believe me? Try go and ordering somebody else's cat around. <laughs> you think that cat's going to care? My cat doesn't listen to me. My dog doesn't have the time. Our words are weak. But Jesus are powerful. They have a power we don't have. I mean, you look at what he did with the word. Every word... Jesus spoke, was filled with power. You go back to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now verse 3, John continues, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And look at Genesis 1. How did God create? Let there be light. And there was. He just spoke. And John 1 tells us, Jesus as a word was God. He's the creator. So by speaking a word, creation come into existence. Jesus, by speaking a word, demons were cast out. Jesus, by speaking a word, the sick and crippled were healed. And by a word, the dead were raised. Jesus just simply spoke, Lazarus, come forth. And he did, after being dead four days. You see, his words just ooze with power. Yeah. 
and we still get them, we reinterpret They're powerful. Then let's turn to John's Gospel, John chapter 12. John 12, at the end of this chapter, we see that the words of Jesus are words of judgment. At the end of chapter 12, uh, Jesus is going to speak his last words of his public ministry. Chapter 13 begins the passion narrative. But in verse 48, almost at the end, Jesus says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. So if we reject Jesus, then his words will judge us at the great white throne judgment. That's what's going to happen. That's a fearful thing. But if we belong to Christ, listen to his word, then we, we pass, we escape that of judgment. We're not condemned. We're in Him. He makes us righteous. That's the blessing of being in Christ. That's why He came to die. That's what the cross is all about. He took all our sins. Paid the penalty. We just have to believe on Him. And yield our life to Him. And we're in Christ. So that is so important. But we don't have words of judgment pronounced on us. Then I want us to turn back to John 6. Gospel of John, chapter 6. Words of Jesus are filled with life. Now, if you remember John's Gospel, chapter 6, An interesting chapter. It begins with the feeding of 5,000. 5,000 people Jesus feeds at the beginning. And, and thousands of people are following Jesus. Then he gets into some serious teaching with them, very frank. And towards the end of the chapter, uh, he's having a tough exchange with the Jews, uh, those who oppose them, oppose Jesus. And in verse 63, Jesus says, It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. And in verse 66, we see the end result. Many of his disciples walked no longer with him. They left him. 5,000 people starts the chapter. They all leave him at the end of the chapter. 
In, in, in fact, in verse 67, there's just 12 of them left. Jesus uh, said, Jesus unto the 12, will ye also go away? So what a picture. Thousands to start with, and then at the end of chapter 6, there's just the 12. And I love what Peter says. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Amen. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow. Where will we go? Isn't that amazing? That when Peter answered for the twelve, they were standing there, they were literally watching hundreds and thousands of people walk away from Jesus. And yet Peter and the other eleven, they stood fast and said, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. They saw it. They believed it. And they stayed with him. So the words of Jesus are so vital. That's because his words are divine. They're the words of God. Later on in the Last Supper, uh, Jesus will tell his disciples, uh, he says, He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So when Jesus speaks, it is God himself that is speaking. It's, it's interesting in John uh, 7 that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they send out uh, officers to arrest Jesus and bring him in. And these officers go out and, and then they make their mistake. I think they kind of stood around listening for, to, to Jesus, looking for maybe an opportunity, opportunity to arrest him. And as they stood there listening to Jesus, they became believers. Uh, they come back to the Pharisees without Jesus, and they said, oh, well, where is he? And I like their answer what they say to the Pharisees. Never man spoke like this man. He was God. He is God. That's why. So the words of Jesus are so important. And that's why Paul says here to Timothy, if any man teach otherwise and said not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. So important. So those are the characteristics. Wholesome words, words of Jesus, and then one more. It produces godliness. And to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Now, Dr. John MacArthur he says the ultimate test of any teaching is whether it produces godliness. Heresy has no power to produce genuine godliness. Remember that phrase. Heresy has no power to produce genuine godliness. You see, teaching that is uh, based in Scripture, in Jesus Christ, it will produce godliness. If it's not, it won't. It'll be unholy. Uh, godliness simply means likeness to God. 
And that's what it should produce. That godliness is a visible fruit of being centered in the Word. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 7. Yeah, Matthew 7, verse 15. Matthew 7, verse 15. Jesus says here, uh, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns? or figs of thistles. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a crooked tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a crooked tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Godliness. So when we teach the Bible, it produces godly lives. But you take a false prophet, they're going to come in and teach stuff that will not produce godly lives. And that's kind of what we're seeing today, false teaching. We're seeing God's Word being changed to approve certain lifestyles. That's not godliness. Yeah. And that's what Paul said. Watch out for that. Let's look at one last picture in Luke 10. Luke chapter 10. This morning in Bible study, we looked at Nehemiah chapter 8. Is that where you guys were going? Yes, sir. Last what a great focus on God's Word that chapter was. That the people had. I mean, wasn't that amazing? They all gathered to hear God's Word read for six plus hours. Boy, they were committed. It's important. In Luke 10, at the end of the chapter, Jesus goes to a home he loved to be at. Martha and Mary. Now Luke tells us, it came to pass, as they went, they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary. And I want you to look, what is Mary doing? She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. We see Martha busy preparing the meal. Fussing because Mary isn't up. She goes to Jesus and tells Jesus, Jesus made her do something. Yeah. What did Jesus say? Mary's chosen the best, the good part. And it won't be taken from her. What a privilege at that moment that she treasure and sat at the feet of Jesus just to listen to him. 
Now we might think, oh, I wish I could do that. We almost can. Because every day when we open up His Word, we're sitting at His feet. And we are listening to Him. We are encountering Him. And we can treasure that every day. But what happens if we go through the day and we never open it up? We miss that experience. So my call to you is purpose every day to open your Bible and meet Jesus. Be at His feet. Don't let a day go by. I mean, if he was physically walking the world today, we would do everything just to sit at his feet. It's a lot easier. We just open our mind. Yeah. And we're at the feet of Christ.